Mumbrella's Finance Marketing Summit is returning this year on the 8th of June at the Sofidel Wentworth in Sydney. Be there as finance's most influential thinkers dissect the latest trends across all areas of banking, superannuation, finance, and insurance. Early bird tickets are now available. Welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast for another year. I'm your host, Callum Jasmine, and today we welcome back the podcast after yesterday's teaser episode with Mick Malloy. If you'd like to catch that one, it will be in your feed just below this episode, so please do have a listen. Top of our agenda today is breaking news that CEO of Chep Network, Justin Hind, is moving on from the agency after two years. We'll also run through the first few nights of the new TV ratings year, as well as some bits you may have missed across the first month of 2023. Then there's a conversation with the new CEO of the AA, Josh Folks. Joining me for the first episode, we have brought in the big guns. It's editorial director, Damien Francis. Hey, Damo. Melbourne Bureau Chief, Callum Jaspin, and I might add, uh, Footscray, Tuesday night, Division 2 member of the men's futsal winning team. Congratulations. You really strung that out as, as long that as was the a long. You put that in the weekend mumbo, mate. It was like a paragraph unto itself. Well, you know, you need to keep people on top of these things. Um, and in a big return, congrats on returning to the Mumbrella News Desk. It's the editor, Olivia Krimmel. Welcome back, Liv. Hello. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back. Good to be here. I'm having a, a little bit of deja vu here, some serious 2021 vibes, of course, <laughs> with the addition of uh, Kalila, who is in the room. Kalila, you can you can say hello. You're our producer. Hello. Congrats on that new role as well. Um, so let's let's crack straight into it because there's there's quite a bit here. Um, breaking news on Mumbrella, as reported by Mumbrella this afternoon. Chep Network CEO Justin Hind is leaving the agency after two years. Um, during his tenure, he rebranded the agency from CHE Proximity to Chep Network, as well as overhauling a significant portion of the staff. He's now moving on, as we understand, to start up his own agency in a similar vein to his predecessor, Chris Howitson. Damo, we'll start with you. Another big change for Chep Network and Cleminger Group more generally. Is it um, an- another speed bump or is it set to carry on uh, business as usual, do you think? Talk about 2021 vibes because that's when we were talking about uh, Chep getting a new CEO at that stage with Chris Howitson moving on to start his own agency, Howitson and White at that stage, now Howitson and company. A speed bump, look, it's always a speed bump as such when a CEO leaves any business. Uh, so there will, of course, be a, a sort of change period and, and uh I guess uh, a few questions in in the industry about what this means for a a very well-known and renowned agency for its work. But if you look at what happened in the past, I think everyone uh, fairly safely assumed that the biggest speed bump would be when Hind replaced Howitson because let's not forget Howitson essentially was Chip. Chip, when it got that name, Clemenger, Harvey, Edge, Proximity, back in 2013 and Howitson, I believe, had come in the year before that uh, to lead the agency. Everything that CHEP was and CHEP stood for 
was uh, as a result of Chris Howitson and the team that he had installed. So when you have to fill shoes that big, there's always going to be talk in the industry of is this essentially the end of the run of the agency? And I don't think we saw that. And in fact, I know we didn't see that with Justin Hind at the helm. You know, even though it's only been two years by comparison to, you know, the almost decade or decade essentially for, for Howie, um, Heinz got some good runs on the board. There have been some good client wins. Uh, there have been some good fresh faces put in place. As you mentioned, there were a few people who left the business uh, as well, as always happens. Uh, so I think he rode the wave well. He established uh, Chep still as a front-running full-service agency, uh, like you mentioned, rebranded to Chep Network, or whatever you want to take out of that, uh, essentially. Um, but it was a solid two years. Uh, so I think they now know how to go from one agency leader to another agency leader relatively successfully. They'll be looking to emulate that uh, it'll be the first time that, that Les Timar has really had to oversee such a big change within CHEP, so that'll be uh, interesting. Um, but I don't, you know, crystal balling, I don't foresee it being an enormous uh, situation to overcome for them. Yeah, and look, we you kind of look at the hires following Chris Howitson to his new agency, and that agency is, you know, it's got a pretty serious chunk of its headcount made up from former staffers. Um, Liv, let's say, for example, what we're hearing, Justin is starting up his own company as he did with with Collective about a decade back with his wife, Dom, which was then sold to Dentsu. Do you think we'll see a similar situation where Justin will look to take some of those hires that he brought in with him? I mean, he'd be silly not to, right? I mean, any leader that finds good staff, if they're then moving on, that's generally what happens. I mean, we've seen it at other groups. I look at, you know, Amy, for instance, over at Group M, she's done that. You know, people like working with people they know and trust. So I think we'll definitely see some movement there in the next probably six months. All subject, of course, also to any um, uh, legal limitations they might have. <laughs> But it depends, doesn't it, what, exactly what agency uh, springs up and what sort of relationships uh, Justin was able to build mm. at CHEP. Again, this was only a two-year play by comparison to Howie's, you know, decade or, or so previously. You know, you build up some very strong relationships there, particularly as you're building an agency up like Howie did. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what sort of relationships come out of that. But I think to Liv's point, we're still in a tough hiring market uh, we're still in a very we're also in a very interesting economic situation now where we're going to see some nervous clients we know that's how it's going to work this year that we're in a cost of living crisis where got we've got uh, some question marks over whether or not Australia will go into recession or not there are clients led from you know global outposts US UK who are already uh, in more pain than we are locally there's a lot of question marks in the air around new business and around as a result agencies particularly new agencies so I guess speaking of the hiring market, as we know currently there is no replacement in place. CHEP is currently recruiting. We saw uh, the, the group, Clemenger Group, look 
beyond our own shores for uh, its chief executive role, the newly created Clemenger BBDO Australia. Maybe internally, the names you might look at, Andrew Drugas, who has been at the agency for quite some time, currently uh, Chief Operating Officer. Uh, Damo, you mentioned uh, offhand earlier on before we recorded that um, David Halter could be one to to maybe return to his um, his former home. Any, any other thoughts on the names? Oh, and that's that's based on nothing other than a romantic thought that wouldn't it be nice? Because I think we all essentially thought that uh, when Chris Howitson left, David Holter would be uh, the first one to to go to for that role. Um, Chep has a short history now with Justin of of uh, promoting from within, mm-hmm. uh, so. Perhaps that's uh, where to where to look, but I think if you looked elsewhere, you know, without sort of naming names, because there are there's been a lot of movement recently. It's been quite hard to to keep up with the the C suite movement that we've seen over the last year. And I think last year's second last last podcast, I mentioned that that was probably the topic of the year for me. The amount of movement that we had seen. Yeah. The one thing we know for sure is that this is a pretty substantial role. You know, it's a big agency name, there are big clients involved, and it's part of a very well-known, well-respected group. There would be a number of people who would be interested in a role like this. Uh, It's just, again, whether you feel confident and comfortable in the current situation uh, to make that move and confident enough that the business is going to keep going, uh, you know, as it has been with whoever you are at the helm. And just a quick note, just reading um, a, a line that we got from Les Tima, he specifically said that they're in the process, uh, well, I should say well advanced in the process of appointing a world-class leader. So I guess that suggests that maybe they are looking beyond our shores once again. I just wanted to touch quickly on a bit more of uh, a point about the group more generally, because you do have this sort of, I guess, fork in the road currently for Clemenger Group. You look back maybe to our own awards, the Mumbrella Awards, the back half of the 2010s was certainly dominated by those two agencies, Clemenger BBDO, Melbourne more in particular, and um, CHEP. Now, as we know, there's been a, a bit of a transitional time at Clemenger BBDO since Nick Garrett left. We've had a few different leaders. Um, now Danny Bassel coming in. So she's coming from Digitas, and we, we covered this off at the time of her announcement last year, but she's now taken up the role. A lot of people in market, while she is Australian, didn't know a great amount about um, Danny because she has been overseas for quite some time. So shout out to Arvind Hickman who are, uh, from Campaign in the UK. I spoke to him to get a bit of a local perspective on Danny. Um, he had some pretty positive things to say. Um, so in 2021, Danny was head of agency of the year. He, she won that award while at Digitas UK. And she's also held some, some senior management roles at some of the top creative agencies over there, including JWT, which was now now Wonderman Thompson, Gray, VCCP, Wyden and Kennedy and Mother. So some of the biggest names in market. Um, so she definitely has a strong background with some of those more traditional creative agencies. But I think it's her experience at Digitas that's probably quite telling as to the the direction that the now unified Cleminger is probably looking here um, sort of across more channels, Arvin says, including media data and tech, which hasn't really been the strong suit there. But the main point that Arvin said was that it's, it's, he thinks it's a clever move um, and she's going to definitely bring some fresh thinking to the Aussie market. So Damo, 
obviously Les Timar, the new, well, not new anymore, but the CEO at Clemenger Group, two pretty big changes and one big appointment to make. What do you think about the direction he's now, um, I guess, stewarding while Robert Morgan is still there? He was always a pair of safe hands though, wasn't he? I mean, that was the idea when that, that announcement was made that he uh, had a, a long history within the Clemenger group, uh, had probably come from uh, an agency uh, that maybe we didn't expect uh, to pull the, you know, a leader out of to then lead uh, Clemenger group. Um, but it was his knowledge of the group itself that really uh, made him a bit of a no-brainer for that role, despite perhaps people on the outside going, don't really understand this one. So while you can bring new people in, Danny, as you mentioned, and potentially uh, whoever the, the CEO of, uh, of CHEP ends up being, the fact of the matter is through Robert as well uh, as Les, you've got two people, um, among others, who have long histories there. Uh, so yeah, a bit of change is good, but there's a bit of, a bit of uh, solidarity as well from the, the, the history. Coming up next, TV ratings kick off and the rest of January's big news. With the Australian Open finishing up on Sunday night and public enemy number one Novak Djokovic taking out a uh, slightly more subdued tournament this year, the official TV ratings year kicked off on Monday with each of the free-to-air networks putting their best foot forward in hopes of reeling in eyeballs. Nine successfully used its Australian Open platform to launch Married at First Sight, which took a pretty comprehensive win on Monday, delivering a metro audience of 840,000. This was down on 2022, however, with the Australian Open numbers generally down a little bit as well. Of course, some factors contributing to that. Liv, let's start with the launch of Math Survivor, and Idol. Yes, well, even before those launches on Monday, we already saw some major program launches and alas, it's not been the outcome that TV bosses would have hoped for. Um, of course, I'm referring to The Bachelors, which launched earlier than usual, um, a revamped version of The Bachelor. It was up against the Australian Open and it didn't quite have the impact that I think the 10 execs would have hoped for. Uh, similarly, though, as you alluded to, the AO didn't draw the big numbers that nine would have hoped for either. Again, multiple factors there, including the fact that there wasn't an Australian in the final. Um, but the men's final was down, you know, over 300,000, which, you know, didn't have an Aussie, Aussie in the final the previous year either. And um, and one thing we do need to point out is that obviously the the catch up TV or BVOD as it's as known in the industry is quite prevalent for those uh, reality TV dramas, the the Bachelors and, and Maths etc. And the numbers for those do take some time to come through. So although the overnight numbers are down, there is a lot of catch up TV being consumed by Australians who want to watch it, you know, when they want. Um, as opposed to when it's on the, the main channels. So that is something to take into consideration. Does it replace the full number of, of audience that we used to get in years gone by? No, uh, but it does do a lot to, to increase that overall um, eyeball number. Um, but back to maths, yes, it, it drew the larger audience on Monday night up against Seven's revamped Idol and Ten's Australian Survivor. Um, one thing I would point out, though, in that these formats have been around for a while. Um, yes, on a different network in the case of Idol, but there's there's not really a lot 
new here as such. And so I think um, I think audiences might just be getting a little bit bored with it all. And then that's why we're seeing these numbers that we're seeing. Even maths, as you said, it lost numbers compared to previous launches, as did the, you know, Survivor, which has for many years been a, a dominant player in that reality TV space. So I think that it's just, yeah, there's a lot of, I think people are just spoilt for choice at the moment. So we're not seeing those big numbers that we used to. We we did see some some interesting formats launched last year. That's I mean, we think about ten. It launched Hunted, which was um, the self-proclaimed biggest new show of 2022, which I think is is correct in terms of new shows. And they obviously had a couple that didn't maybe pan out like they would have wanted. Look at the the Love Boat. Um, maybe it's a case here, Liv, where you want to launch a new show, but starting the year, you really want to go for that that big winner. And you know, we look at Nine Maps and the Block are probably the two there that are the the surest things. Yes. And you mentioned maths and, and the tennis. Um, gosh, there's nothing like <laughs> repetition to encourage people <laughs> to follow instructions. Uh, if anyone was watching the the AO, they would have seen a thousand ads for maths. So that that obviously does contribute yeah. there. I mean, during, during the final, they had that launch for maths. I mean, what better time than to promote your new show than during the Australian Open final? There was that preview with the, the bride who had that single look of anger, which actually even almost convinced my mom to watch maths, which she ended up forgetting about on Monday. Um, Damo, how, how important do you think it is to launch the year with something like tennis or on seven? Um, we, we have to remember they've still got the big bash and seven did secure a new deal with um, Cricket Australia to keep that going. So Idol was launched off the back of um, Big Bash, although it's not quite reaching the same numbers as it has in previous years. 10, obviously without that, went for Bachelor this year, but kind of squared off pretty evenly with Idol on opening night. Just shows you how important sports is, like the summer sports is in particular, isn't it? Because you can do so much if you've got those eyeballs on the tennis and, and on the cricket in particular, you know, the, the traditional summer sports. Ten, of course, has has the A-League, but, you know, not um, it doesn't not have the cut through. No, it, well, exactly. And it certainly doesn't have the cut through that, that cricket or tennis. Does. You know, you mentioned it before that the challenge with the tennis was on an Australian note that we uh, understood uh, before it even started. Uh, Ash Barty obviously had retired, wasn't going to come back and, and defend the title. Nick Curios early withdrawal. So already there was a, a little bit of a dent on on potentially what the audience numbers were going to be. But it's it's super key to setting up, you know, mm. particularly the first half of the year for for your programming. Look, if you're 10, maybe you hang on to the fact that uh, come late March, you've got the the Formula One and an Australian in Oscar Piastri at McLaren, maybe, but it's no Danny Rick, though. no Danny Rick. Um, but it's, you know, look, it's a late entry to the sort of, um, sports kicking off the year. I mean, late March, you're not really kicking off the year at that yeah. stage, but you know, they're still, you know, sorry about the pun. This, they're, they're still in the game. They're just not quite with, I oh, know that was a shocker. Still everyone, in everyone, the game, even everyone, everyone's shaking their heads <laughs> at me, but, but you know, you would, you would assume that it's going to be a big initiative for them to, at some stage, try and lock down something big that yep. allows them to start the year well. So 
the the one that is sort of remaining we've spoken about this live the olympics which does look like it's probably going to nine now 10 is you know we don't want to overly dwell on this point but 10 is now locked out of major tier one sports for the next pretty decent size of time with nine and seven locking up afl nrl tennis and cricket is is there a way for 10 to sort of fight back here obviously it tried something different with the bachelors launching at the start of this year yeah that and look they're they may just be going through a rough patch. It does feel like they are really trying. They're trying to do things differently. They're trying to take some risks rather than just sticking to the same old, same old. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, audiences at the moment are really spoilt for choice. They're fickle. They're increasingly fragmented. I mean, between, you know, the FTAs, the BVODs, streaming platforms, not to mention social media, which consumers are increasingly turning to for entertainment, the audience is just really unpredictable at the moment. And they might just have other priorities. Even sport, as we have seen, is not getting the numbers. Like Big Bash is not getting the numbers. AO didn't get the numbers that it had had in the past. So The grand final and, didn't get the numbers last year, both AFL and NRL. Exactly. So even sport, you know, the tried and tested is, is not working anymore. So I think all of them need to have a good look and, and think about, all right, how do we get them back? How do we draw them back in? I know we've chatted in the past about, you know, really big drama programs overseas doing that and getting people back watching that one night a week because that's the only way that they can watch it. And then that draws them into other programs then. Um, so it is it is an interesting, uh, I guess, moment in time that we're at because audiences have more, more and more options. Mm. And so it's just a case of finding what works best for the audience you're after. Just finally moving on to our last topic, we're going to wrap things up here. So there are a few major chief marketing officer roles still out in market at the moment. Um, we reported in early January that uh, at Australia Post, CMO Amber Collins left the end of last year. As I understand with that one in particular, there won't be a direct replacement similarly to what we hear about Optus, whose um, CMO Mel Hopkins jumped across to Seven West Media. Quite a few in market live. Are we going to see a bit of a, a, a CMO merry-go-round soon of sorts? Well, as they say, as one door opens, <laughs> another closes. It is, it is very much a merry-go-round at the moment. And I don't know if if everyone else's LinkedIn is the same, but my LinkedIn feels like every second post is someone announcing a new job at the moment. Um, January was definitely the month for, I've started a new role. <laughs> um, in, in even here at Mumbrella, we've had that. So, Do you know what is ominous though? It's the fact that like you've just said, Cal, a lot of people with those roles or with those roles having been vacated are now saying we're not necessarily looking mm. to directly fill them. Well, it's the same with Coles as well. This is this is slightly troubling for me because we've already been for bloody years, we've been arguing about the CMOs getting a seat at the table, at the boardroom level, being considered, you know, CEO material. And some of, you know, we, we've now seen some very high profile CMOs move on to other things, you know, and these roles may not be filled. What is that saying about the market at the moment? It's not, you know, it's not great signs that the board or that the CEOs necessarily think that those roles are as important as they should think they are. 
if they're not straight away going, we've got a plan, we've been talking to people, we knew that this was imminent and so we've, you know, been looking at yeah. what to do next. You want someone to go, yep, yeah, we've, we've got a few people in mind, we've got a plan, there's a strategy, CMO, super important, doesn't seem to be like that. It is also though the one title I would say that has the biggest variation in title. Mm-hmm. Growth officer, customer experience officer, marketing Chief officer. customer officer becoming much more. It's, it's a really, whereas operations or finance or legal counsel, those roles tend to be very embedded in an organization structure in terms of both their seniority and their title, whereas the marketing or comms or, or a customer experience, it tends to be a bit more fluid. So it could again be that we're just not seeing the exact title that has historically been there, but someone will, who will be doing a similar role will be coming in. Is that the, the prediction for the year, Liv? I think the, the <laughs> CMO becoming the CCO in terms of chief customer officer as we deal with a, a cost of living crisis and fickle customer engagement? It, it could be. I'm, I'm not going to I'm not a betting woman, so I won't put money on it. But uh, <laughs> Well, we love to start the year with a hot take, so there it, you go. It does feel that way. And again, looking at LinkedIn and the you know sheer number of, of job announcements in the last month, um, the variation in title, even though those mm. people have come from similar backgrounds and doing similar work, is just astounding. I think Callum might take that bet, though. He already owes me a, a curry because Andy Murray lost so early in the Australian Open. What do you mean so early? The guy played with a... Round Metal three is kit. early, mate. Round three is early. <laughs> hey, come further than Rafa. Anyway, I think at that point we should probably move along. Coming up next is my chat with the new CEO of the Double ANA, Josh Folks. Josh Folks, CEO of the Australian Association of National Advertisers, also known as the Double ANA. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Colin. Great to be here. And happy birthday for tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe you got that in, but thanks. (laughs) So you began your role in late 2022 after um, a pretty long and extensive search to find you in particular. (laughs) Moving across from your role as the head of uh, the reputation advisory at KPMG, you've got a pretty interesting resume, Josh. Before then, you were the head of strategic partnerships at the ABC, deputy chief of staff to the attorney general, head of corporate affairs at Salmat, and you've also been senior advisor to Malcolm Turnbull, amongst other roles. Why do you think the AANA chose you and what, what attracted you to the AANA? Thanks, Callum. Look, I think it's a, I bring a really great mix of that business, government and industry experience. Like you mentioned, came from KPMG, set up that business um, ran it pretty successfully. It's a national business in their brand and marketing division. And that really helped businesses build trust and reputation with all their stakeholders. And that's a pretty important part of this role. It's building trust and reputation with the industry and members. So I think that's the first part, how to run a business and the strategy piece from KPMG. ABC, again, within the industry. And part of my job there was running their um, off-platform strategy. So I worked really closely with Google and Meta and Twitter and and Spotify and all the relevant stakeholders for um, the advertising industry as well, the advertising marketing industry. You also mentioned spent about a decade on the Hill working for various cabinet ministers and um, Malcolm Turnbull when he was the leader of the opposition. I think that's really important because the self-regulatory part is core business for us um, and knowing how to engage with, with government and how to promote and protect that self-regulatory system is really important. And I did a little stint as well as head of policy and government um, in Communications Alliance, which is the uh, telco industry body. And I've been really lucky throughout that whole thing to be in and around the industry for all of my career. So I think the board saw a good mix of skills, 
from an experience around the leadership, the strategy, the running of a business, the industry experience, and that government piece because of the importance of the self-regulatory system. Yeah, look, we'll, we'll get onto that self-regulatory uh, system later. Uh, what, one of the interesting words that was used when you were hired was that you were coming in um, to revitalise the AANA. I guess a lot has been said about the AANA and its role in recent years. Why do you think it needs revitalising? And in your view, what is that kind of going to take? I don't want to comment on the past. I prefer to sort of focus on the future. Um, but one thing I'd like to say is that from the feedback I received from members and the board, was that AANA needs a louder and stronger voice. Um, and also we need to be make sure we're delivering value to our members. And those are two things that I will have a laser focus on moving forward. Yeah, right. So I guess, you know, I said we'd talk about it later, but we might as well dive into it. One of the key roles of the, the AANA is that industry self-regulation. That was, you know, one thing you said was uh, protecting and strengthening that. I think part of this is also, from an industry perspective, maybe people say that double ANA has to develop a bit more of a, of a bite. What areas of this do you think maybe are lacking most in your, on your first priority looking to, I, I guess, push? Uh, look, uh, protecting and promoting our self-regulatory system is one of, my, one of our big strategic priorities for 2023 and moving forward. Uh, because the alternative, and I say this um, whenever I talk about it, is more regulation tighter restrictions, less advertising, and importantly, less trust in advertising and, and advertisers. So we work really closely with our members and the industry to strengthen, promote, and protect this, this self-regulatory system. Part of that is making sure that our codes are reflective of community standards and international best practice. And just this year, we're reviewing two of them. Um, we're reviewing the Children's Code and the Environmental Claims Code. On the environmental claims code, that's a great example. We can see that shift in community expectation. And there's a lot of work being done overseas on the development of standards, standards around the kind of claims organisations are making across the world when it comes to environmental and sustainability issues. So to bring that in line with community expectations and global best practice, we've brought forward that review and it's got a broad impact across multiple industries and sectors. So we'll be consulting really, really widely. But it's not just about that. It really is about the um, responsible advertising and making sure that advertisers are seen to be doing the right thing. Um, and that's part of the self-regulatory system. And the other important part of it is the complaints part of it, that we have a world-class complaints part of it uh, through ad standards. They deal with all the complaints. You only need to make one complaint for them to look into it. We've got a fantastic community panel that looks at these complaints. And I think that really is world-class and something that we should really, they've been there for 25 years next year. They're coming around to their 25 years anniversary, which is great. And they're really world-class in how they handle those complaints. And I think that's that's acknowledged and seen by the government and regulators. Other part for that is for our great policy and regulatory team. They do a lot of training, codes, uh, training of codes for our members. And we also engage a lot with government and the regulators to promote the self-regulatory system and educate them on what it does because it really is world-class and engage with them on the big regulatory issues and the policy issues that affect our members and the broader industry. So I think the self-regulatory system is really important for us to protect and promote. Um, and as I said, the alternative is more regulation from the government, um, more yep. restrictions and less advertising, and that's not good for the industry. Is there a way, let's say, you know, with, with Addis Standards, let's look last year, um, one particular band, uh, Honey Burdett, was 
pinged, I guess you would call it, seven times by ad standards. Um, but seemingly they're, they're not taking any uh, notice or uh, maybe curbing those things that they're being pinged for. Is there a way to, I guess, prevent that moving forward within the ad standard system? I think um, the, the alternative way to look at that, Calum, is there is a very high level of compliance in the 95% plus um, with the ad standards. Most responsible organisations and advertisers don't want that kind of response or don't want a complaint upheld by ad standards. And they all either take that down straight away or if you're talking about TV, for example, it's automatically taken down and you can't use that yep. ad again. So most responsible advertisers, and I'd say all of our members, want to make sure that they're doing the right thing. And so they don't want to do that. And so I think the better story there is around 95% plus compliance when it comes to um, ad standards and the complaint system and our codes. There will always be some outliers that don't want to comply. We work with the shopping centre owners and we work with Honey Dep to try and change that and that's ongoing. Um, but the vast majority of advertisers are really responsible in how they do it. They work with us on training on the codes to make sure they're complying with the codes. They work with ad standards on pre-vetting. Uh, Organisations like TV and Free TV have a, a whole system around pre-vetting and pre-coding of these ads. So I think there's a lot of positives to come out of it and the 95% plus kind of compliance rate is a really positive thing. Just quickly on the um, environmental claims code, um, we obviously see some of these industry bodies such as um, Clean Creatives uh, producing reports like the F-List each year. Is, is there any prospect for collaboration with some of those organisations that are already trying to, I guess, adjacently work in that area? Um, what we're going to do is consult really broadly with the community, with the government and with the industry on the code. And I don't want to preempt anything that's going to come out of the code review but if you, we just look to what's happening overseas where there is a lot of work being done in the EU, for example, in what, how we should set those standards, that's the kind of stuff that we need to emulate here. We need to make sure we reflect international best practice when it comes to this and we reflect the expectations of the community because the community now expects that organisations that make claims around their environmental credentials and around sustainability are backed up by something with a bit of a bit of substance. And that's where while we'll be working with them to make sure it does reflect. Now we've spoken before about um, some of the other bodies in the Australian industry. Um, I think from uh, an industry perspective, there's sometimes the belief that um, so, so many of these bodies, such as the MFA, the AANA and the ACA maybe don't work in collaboration as much as they could, but as I understand, that's something that you are focusing on with the likes of um, Sophie Madden and Tony Hale. Can you talk us through a little bit about, I guess, the plans for collaboration in 2023 with those other uh, bodies, obviously extending beyond just those two? Absolutely, Colin. And I don't think uh, the premise of your question is quite right. Uh, we work really well together. Um, Tony and so Tony from the the Ad Council and Sophie from the MFA, we work really closely and we see that we form the three sort of corners representing the advertising industry and we work together seamlessly on a lot of initiatives. And we also work really closely with the channels, OMA, IAB, Free TV, CRA, Think TV, on promoting the industry and tackling the big issues that impact all of our members the most. Um, and look, I, I think we find a lot more in common on most issues that we disagree with. And my engagement with them has been one of the highlights since I started this role a few a few months ago. And I want to do a big call out to those CEOs because they've been really welcoming and helpful since I started. And of course, our teams work really well together as well. It's not all about the CEOs. And like we're doing some really exciting stuff in 2023. We've got a sustainability summit coming up 
um, in February where we're getting together to make sure we're we're not we're coordinating our efforts around sustainability and making a real difference. So it's fantastic with all the CEOs getting together. And we really work closely on, as I said, those issues that impact the industry most. Um, and we can talk about some of those later, but I, I think the premise of your question is incorrect. We work really closely and collaborate closely together. Right. And um, in November, just after you joined, you, you wrote uh, or you spoke to the Australian about how now is not the time for marketers to double down. Um, to invest, to protect your brands and deliver results, um, I guess, in uncertain economic times. Can you tell us a little bit more about that point of view? Yeah, look, I think we're all seeing that the industry is facing some pretty big challenges at the moment. Um, we've got strong economic headwinds, which everyone's talking about, rising inflation um, and whispers of recession. And they're having a real impact on consumer and corporate behaviour. We're seeing it coming through now. Businesses are cutting costs. Businesses are cutting staff. Just look at the tech companies, for example, and their layoffs. And I don't think we've seen the worst of it yet. I've spoken to a few of my colleagues overseas in Europe, and I think in some countries it's pretty dire, and usually Australia follows a few months after that. Um, so even on the issue of just the inflation, we haven't seen this kind of inflation for decades, and it's a new ground for our industry because we're asking, our, you know, our members are asking their customers to pay much higher prices for the products than they did before. Um, when real incomes are dropping, and this is a real ultimate test of brand loyalty, um, it's all having an impact on, you know, even supermarkets are reportedly saying there's a shift in consumer behaviour to cheaper options. So it's a pretty tough time for the industry. At the same time, you know, one of the first things that's, that, that can be cut is marketing budgets. So they're being squeezed a little bit and CMOs are being asked, um, are asking boardrooms for more money to invest around brands to protect that brand loyalty and, and counter the, the downturn. And they've Good reason to, Callum. Like we've seen plenty of research about recessions and, and also during COVID that those brands that invested in marketing during those downturns fared much better than those that chose to cut their marketing spends. And it's all about that recovery. They're so well positioned. They've got greater share of the eyes and the ears uh, for their recovery, but the recovery will definitely happen. Um, that's the nature of the economy. And those brands were much in a much better position to take advantage of that recovery. So all of that sort of comes around together to say now's not the time to be cutting budgets. Now's the time to be investing in marketing. Um, and that's what I'm, that's the message that I keep saying. Um, we're trying to work with our members to help them um, articulate the need and the ROI on that investment uh, for their businesses and also help them grow and position themselves for when that recovery comes around. And one other thing that you said was um, helping your members um, to have the ability to speak the language of the boards and the executive teams. What, what is your role in actually helping them do that? Um, look, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really good point. A lot of our uh, marketers, uh, CMOs, probably don't need that, that kind of help because they are the top and the best in the industry. But for others, it's just understanding how you can speak the language of the CFO and of the leadership team and how you can talk about and prove the and educate around the importance of marketing and what it delivers to the business. It can't always be the first thing that's cut from the business when you need it to survive and you need it to grow. Um, so that's the kind of work we're doing. We're working with a lot of different things about how you prove the effectiveness of the marketing you'll deliver, you show that ROI and you tell the whole story, not just down the bottom of the funnel mm -hmm. for the last click, you're telling the whole story about the brand halo and the longer term brand plays and the importance of those. So I think it's a, it's a piece depending on the particular brand and the member. Some are very experienced in doing this and others, um, others you know, we can, we can help if they need that help. 
And just finally, this one's sort of twofold. You mentioned there, obviously, the economic headwinds and that being a major priority for members this year. Um, what do you sort of see as the other key issues for AANA's um, members this year? And in, in turn, what are you hearing from your clients when they're coming to you saying, this is what is really on our plates for 2023? Yeah, for our members, the pretty common theme, and we're hearing this internationally as well, is marketing effectiveness, um, ROI, and measurement are pretty key at the moment. And I think that's that's been consistent for a while, but during tough economic times, measuring, proving the effectiveness, and demonstrating the ROI is really key. So we're hearing that quite a lot. And there's a lot of different initiatives, Callum, around the world around um, you know cross-media me- measurement and a range of different things and a range of different... Um, there's no right answer is probably the best way to put it at the moment. And part of our role is bringing those key thought leaders, the best and the brightest thinkers in our industry um, to our members to show them the the latest thinking of how they can do that. So that's probably the the number one priority at the moment that we're seeing from our members. We're seeing a lot around ad tech. Um, Ad tech's a really interesting one. I find it still a little bit unbelievable that advertisers still don't have the capacity to trace each of their ad transactions to when the ad is actually delivered. Um, that's mm-hmm. quite difficult for audits and everything else, but I find that quite difficult to understand why that hasn't happened yet. So we're working with um, both sides, the supply and demand side on that one. Um, ad bans are a big thing. You've seen uh, various politicians, not necessarily governments or oppositions, but politicians within various jurisdictions talking about bans on junk food or bans on gambling and a range of other things. Um, yep. And so we're working really closely on that. I think that will continue to go. We're doing some great things around the promotion of healthy eating, which is important. And our food and bev code is one of the best and one of the strictest in the world. Um, and of course, sustainability, that's a big puppy. So um, I've talked to you a little bit about the review of the environmental claims code. Um, we've, we're uh, bringing together a sustainability council at AANA uh, with key thought leaders. Part of that will be um, setting the standards for the environmental claims code. Part of it will be things like ad net zero. Uh, so that's pretty exciting as well, but I think that will be and continue to be quite a big issue for the industry um, moving forward in this year. I mean, just just finally on on your final point there, we have, uh, you know, as you say, in certain jurisdictions, seen movements, for example, I I believe in the city of Yarra where I am, um, there's a movement to ban fossil fuel advertising. Would there be any sort of support from that if, you know, the merits were there and the argument was put forward to actually enforce that in certain jurisdictions? We don't, we don't do bans on ads. So that's something that the government can do if they're going to do bans on ads. And and I don't want to preempt the outcome of the review, um, but we're looking at, and I think if you look at the examples around the world, that's not the kind of outcomes from when they set yep. the standards. Is what they're doing, saying we're going to ban fossil fuel advertising. But we don't ban advertising and we don't enforce that. That's something that the government needs to do. What we're going to do is look to what the community needs and for community expectations and look to international best practice um, when it comes to setting those standards and looking and to make sure we really, you know, for our, our focus here is making sure we meet the community expectations and make sure that our advertisers and members know what to do when it comes to making environmental claims. Because if they're doing the right thing, we should be creating a system that allows them to communicate that effectively with their stakeholders and their customers. So that's, that's part of our objective there. Well, Josh, it's been uh, great having you on. Thank you very much and good luck for 2023. Thanks very much, Colin. Have a good day. 
That is it for our opening episode of the Mumbrella Cast for 2023. It's going to be a big year for Mumbrella's audio content, so make sure you are subscribed to keep hearing from the biggest and best names in media and marketing, as well as some cracking weekly news analysis. Thanks again to Josh for joining us. Liv, Damo, thank you to you both too, and welcome back, Liv. Thank you. Cheers, mate. See you next time. <laughs>